Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris, it's good to see you. How are things going with you? Uh, going well, Jack. Not as cold as they were a few weeks ago. How about you? Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of rain and that kind of thing, but uh, compared to snow, I think I'll take the rain. So that's good stuff. It's an exciting week in the car industry. It looks as if the Environmental Protection Agency is finally willing to listen to reason and relax its stringent fuel economy and electric vehicle mandates. Those regulations faced heavy opposition from just about everyone who knew anything about the car industry. Uh, car dealers, uh, me members of the manufacturing community, Chris Teague, Jack Nerad, uh, <laughs> we'll have the details for you. Meanwhile, there's more trouble uh, on the self-driving vehicle front. Autonomous vehicles testing in San Francisco has fa have faced a great deal of public resistance, to say the least. And the most recent example is kind of frightening. So we'll give you the details on that. Uh, kind of really uh, almost violent, guy, I guess, kind of reaction to those vehicles. Meanwhile, General Motors' embattled cruise self-driving uh, unit has lost another key executive, it's had a bloodletting over the course of the last several months here after one of its test cars last year dragged a pedestrian down the street. <laughs> Not something you want to have happen. And uh, what they did in the aftermath of that was equally bad. So we'll talk about that. And in happier news, Mazda has announced that it will continue to, to develop one of its longtime signature engines. You might be able to guess what engine that is. And it's interesting how they're going to use it. Uh, so we'll have details coming up on in later in this segment. So there's a lot to talk about, right, Chris? Yeah, there's always a lot to talk about. It's very exciting. Love it. Yeah, well, there's no end to news in the, in the car industry. It's a great industry to cover. Let's do a little business here. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. We lead the league in hyphens. We have a hyphen in there, and you need to use it. Uh, as you listeners to the show know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week, we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, uh, local weather, and how you can save some money on your cars. Uh, I rub in the local weather typically, but maybe you've got better local weather than I have right now. And, of course, we have a couple of vehicles that we test each week. Which uh, vehicle are you going to test for it this time around, Chris? I drove the 2024 Honda Ridgeline Trail Sport. Again, I almost said Passport. We were talking about this. But, yes, the Trail Sport, the off-roady version of the truck. Can't wait to tell you all about it. Yeah, I'm fascinated to hear about that. I'll be road testing the 2025 Ram 1500 pickup truck. Ram has made some very significant changes to this truck for 2025, and I was among the first journalists to drive it. It was an event down near Austin, Texas, so I'll tell you about what I discovered coming up. 
Uh, very cool stuff, actually, I think, that we have to tell you about that. This week, our special guest is Andrew Staley. He's brand manager of the Ford Explorer. Ford has heavily revised the Explorer for 2025. It hasn't come out yet, but uh, we'll get behind-the-scenes look at what we can expect, uh, the important details from him in our discussion, so stay with us for that. I think you'll be interested in what he has to say about what's going on with Ford Explorer. Let's Let's dive into the news here. I think uh, finally reason has prevailed a little bit, or it looks like it's going to, with the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. They had proposed some very strict and, and, and virtually impossible <laughs> to meet uh, tailpipe emission standards and, uh, and standards that would uh, essentially require uh, um, amazing numbers of, uh, and percentages of electric vehicles into the marketplace in a fairly short period of time, I think by 2020, 2032 which in automotive terms is not that far off. I mean, what's your uh, overall take on this about face by the EPA? Well, I think it's a regulation runs directly into the face of the free market, right? Like who's who's buying these vehicles? How many people are buying these vehicles? Uh, you know, the early adopters have had their say, and now we're on to the general sort of public. Um, and there, we've talked about the reasons why this isn't taking for, for, you know, until we're all blue in the face, but it'll be interesting to see where we end up with the standards with, if we even have a standard, you know, well, we'll have some standard, uh, going forward, but it's very interesting to watch. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, the proposed standards would have essentially increased EV penetration until they were 67% of new car registrations in just eight years. I mean, we're kind of stuck at around under 10% of EV sales as a, a part of the total market. So getting to two thirds of all vehicles, new vehicles sold uh, in just eight years is a giant stretch. So I think they kind of seen the handwriting on the wall there. Uh, there were also really uh, heavy fuel economy targets and giant fines if uh, manufacturers fail to meet them. And of course, this is kind of the insidious thing that politicians do, right? They, they put the onus on the manufacturer to meet these targets, but they have to sell vehicles to do that. And, and <laughs> oftentimes they have to sell vehicles at a loss just to meet uh, regulations. It's, it's kind of a very difficult thing for uh, car manufacturers for the market as a whole, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, consumers in Europe and in China especially are, are more receptive to electric vehicles than they are here. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, this is a uniquely political issue here, like something that I've never seen before. And I'm only, I'm middle aged, but I'm not not the most experienced person on the block. But this is a this is deeper than just the cars themselves. Like the the quality and the vehicles, they don't stand on the on their own in this conversation. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, bringing politics into this a little bit, and this is not a political show, so I don't want to go too deep into this, but I, I think some of this is caused by the fact that we're in, in an election year and we're looking at an election in November and maybe going off the cliff here in, uh, on EVs is, is not a wise thing for the current administration to do with, with an election coming up. So I guess we could leave it at that. Yeah, and the automakers themselves have said that. They're walking it back. GM's going to go back to plug-in hybrids and hybrids, and, and Ford has pulled back investment in the uh, in its battery and manufacturing facilities down in the south. So, um, you know, I think industry is, is doing what it needs to do to stay alive. Yeah, I mean, they're just answering what the market is telling them. And, I, you know, I call the free market uh, basically economic democracy. I mean, you vote with your dollars for products you want, and you'd like to see a level playing field for them. So... 
I think that's a good thing, and I like to see the market work. I think it, it works for most of our benefit most of the time, so I'm in favor of that. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about autonomous cars and <laughs> what's going on uh, in San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco has become a testbed for autonomous vehicles, for Waymo and for Cruz and, and for others. And there was a recent incident in San Francisco where someone set fire, essentially, to a self-driving car. And I don't know whether uh, it was a political statement, it was a statement of hatred for autonomous cars, or just a, a statement that uh, San Francisco's lawlessness is out of control. It could be, could be all three. Uh, but that's been going on. And there is no doubt that the San Francisco populace is kind of up in arms over these self-driving vehicles. They just don't like them and they don't trust them, do they? Yeah. You know, I was just going to say public trust is the number one step in getting somebody to get into a car without another person driving that, that vehicle. Um, and they lost it. Even in San Francisco, where tech is like the religion, right? That That's kind of what happens there. So um, this to me is I don't, I don't think it bodes well, at least for the immediate future of the, the industry. I, I know that we're moving in the direction. Computers will probably always be better at computing large numbers of, of things at, at once, better than humans. But uh, this is one of those things. I think this could be sort of one of those moments people look back and say, that's why it went a direction or the other. Yeah. I think self-driving, and I was in a, a self-driving vehicle, uh, the Ram 1500 has that feature available, on super highways, on divided highways with limited access, where uh, it, it is sensible and it, it's not so challenging, right? But when you have a city streets kind of situation, you've got pedestrians, people jaywalking, cabs stopping here. I mean, it's perhaps the most difficult place to do self-driving and why they decide to, to test in the middle of a city, except they're, they're testing robo-taxis, so I guess they're going to operate in inner cities. You're not going to have taxis out in rural areas, but uh, it strikes me as, gee, gee, what are we thinking about doing here? Yeah, and you know, you can take a step back and look at you know what might be the ideal use case for the autonomous vehicle, delivery drivers, taxi drivers, those sorts of things, but the unfortunate part of the equation is that those use cases are the most complex, right? So Blue Cruise from Ford, Super Cruise from General Motors, even Tesla's autopilot, you know, they work on a highway where there's only one flow of traffic in those those two or three lanes or probably several where you live. Um, but, right. you know, that's a lot more complex, like you said, you know, jaywalking and, and things like that. So um, <laughs> right. I don't know where they're going to go. Well, Cruise has lost another executive. It's senior vice president for autonomous vehicle platforms has uh, left the company. You're not quite sure whether he was fired, uh, quit, you know, kind of nebulous there. But, you know, they had the issue with this dragging of the pedestrians. So that has been a pretty ugly scene. And I want to squeeze this story in, too, about Mazda. It's the rotary engine that they're doubling down on. They're doing more research and development on. And I've always been a fan of the, the Vankel engine, the uh, rotary engine. And now they're going to use it in, in some hybrids, among other things, and, and maybe a sports car. But they're using a little version of the rotary, and they might be uh, developing a hydrogen version because hydrogen could burn very easily in a rotary engine. Yeah. You know, I think it's important to note that rotary engines, like in general, are, are pretty tiny. You know, the ones that powered the RX-7, the RX-8, those are very small compared to what people uh, think of when they think of big power. But, you know, I don't know, is, is Mazda doing the right thing here, using it for range extenders, using it in hybrids, those sorts of things? Sure. But, you know, from there... I, Obviously, they have an economic reason to be doing this. Maybe the publicity is is a good enough reason on its own. But uh, I'm just happy to see that the rotary stick around, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, very, very cool. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing some pretty cool vehicles. The uh, Honda Ridgeline pickup truck in off-road version and the Ram 1500 pickup truck. So all trucks all the time. When we come back, stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christy Jack. you right back with you for road test time. We have two cool pickup trucks to talk about. Kind of new uh, pickup trucks in their own way. I mean, I don't think there's been a trail sport version of the Ridgeline uh, up until now. And that's what you're going to be talking about, Chris. And I was driving a heavily revised 2025 Ram 1500. But let's hear what you have to say about this Ridgeline trail sport. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting vehicle. We have a few of these uh, sort of, you know, half trucks I'm going to call them half trucks. Somebody's going to punch me for that. On sale today, we have the Ford Maverick. We have the Hyundai Santa Cruz, um, which you and I drove together in California. And then we have the the Honda Ridgeline, which is kind of the progenitor of the the current generation of all these these vehicles. And it's really interesting to me what they've done to kind of give it the off-road flair. Um, have you driven the newest Ridgeline at all? I have driven a non-trail sport version of it, which I, I liked pretty much. I mean, they certainly have um, made it more a pickup truck, at least from the looks point of view. It, uh, in previous generations, it was kind of an odd-looking thing. Uh, you could either loved it or, or didn't like it very <laughs> much at all, but I think they kind of mainstreamed it a bit in terms of styling. Yeah, I still don't love the styling. It still looks like a pilot with the back cut off to me. Um, as did the first, I don't know, generation or two. But I think styling is secondary to to what you get with this. So um, Honda gives it its V6. It's a 3.5 liter V6. Makes 280 horsepower, 262 pound feet of torque. Uh, the Trail Sport has all wheel drive, and it also has a nine speed automatic transmission. So uh, I think you get a 10 speed in the Pilot now. But this, the IVTM, the the virtual, uh, I'm not going to get the right variable torque management. There we go. Uh, all-wheel drive system works really well in the snow. I'll tell you that with the all-terrain tires that this truck has, you know, you can you can really feel it doing the work for you in the snow. And we, um, my colleague and I drove it back from Boston, all the way from Boston to Midcoast, Maine. So about a three, three and a half hour drive in the snow. And it was smooth, smooth as silk on the highway, Jack. Um, this is not a pickup truck that, you know, it's not a bouncy sort of body on frame rough truck this is a basically an suv with a truck bed if you want to think of it yeah that all way. independent suspension so uh good ride quality yeah and even though uh we were talking about it on the highway the the all-terrain tires there's not a lot of noise in the truck even with you know like i said the off-road sort of gear there so um no complaints about the comfort of the ride um the, the engine is sort of loud but it does sound muscular it's the same sound that you get in the pilot the Passport, and uh, I believe also the Odyssey. So Honda's really getting its mileage out of this this engine at this point in time. Inside, we had leather upholstery. We have heated and cooled front seats. Um, Honda's infotainment system, Jack, and I want to get your opinion on this. I think they've done quite a bit to improve it in recent years. I think it's a lot simpler. It's a lot more intuitive and more responsive. What do you think about it? I think it's much better. I don't know that it's class leading or even close to class leading, but it, it certainly is better than before. I mean, just having a volume knob uh, <laughs> adds a, a lot of uh, just functionality to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I'd still like a tuning knob. <laughs> I think that would still be helpful for those of us uh, on the radio. But you do get a lot of features. You have wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. You have Bluetooth. You get seven speakers and a subwoofer and the top trim, which I didn't have, but you can get a 540 watt really beefed up stereo. So no complaints with the tech here. You also get a full suite of safety equipment. Honda sensing is standard. So you get forward collision warnings Let's see uh, rear cross traffic alerts, blind spot monitoring, adaptive cruise control, the, the whole deal there. But 
you know, I think on the inside for me, Jack, if I were going to buy a truck, I think I would, I would probably be looking at something like this because with a family, uh, if I needed to haul children and maybe a dog and do it in relative comfort, I think I'm going to be looking for the best ride quality and the quietest experience inside. And that's going to be the, the, uh, the Ridgeline for me or maybe the Ford Maverick. So uh, I think this is a very comfortable truck. The price point is decent. Uh, the value is there. And, uh, you know, other than the styling, I don't really have too many complaints here. Yeah, I mean, it's a vehicle I've liked uh, for many, many years. It's not your typical pickup truck. Some slam it for that. I kind of like it uh, for that reason. It's uh, It goes its own way. I think Honda was pretty ingenious. They have great engineering, of course, and ingenious in the way they put that pickup truck together based on stuff that they already had and already engineered it makes a lot of sense to me so i like the vehicle more sense than spending eighty thousand dollars on a truck that only really is a truck maybe a day a week or so well what are you talking about are you talking about the 2025 ram 1500 that I, that i was driving because uh that might be a, in some ways an apt description but i would describe this vehicle as not only a great truck and a very useful truck but also one of the nicest riding uh, vehicles out there. It, it seems like a luxury sedan with the large truck bed and the ability to trailer things thrown into the mix. I mean, the Ram people talk about no compromises when they build their vehicles, when they build their trucks. They want durability, advanced technology, some efficiency. Fuel efficiency is, is difficult in a full-size truck, but these are pretty fuel efficient. And um, they've gone a long way to do that. One of the headline with this truck, of course, is the uh, installation of the new Hurricane engines, the three-liter inline six-cylinder engines. I Going to a straight six-cylinder engine, a straight six versus a V6, I think is a brilliant move. Uh, it's an inherently balanced kind of configuration to begin with. So the smoothness is there. This is a twin turbo where each turbo provides air to three cylinders. Uh, so that is uh, a cool way to go about doing this. This is just a a really efficient engine, and it's replacing a, a legendary engine, the Hemi V8, in this truck. And I think it does a remarkable job. I mean, I drove this thing, among other things, towing an Airstream trailer. I barely knew that this 30-foot trailer was behind the, the vehicle. It, it just had that much power and torque. They have a, a new trim that is uh, the tungsten trim. It's the top-of-the-line trim. And I tell you, this is luxury car. I mean, absolute luxury car, including a, an immense amount of rear uh, rear seat legroom. I mean, this is a, a full six-passenger vehicle. There's just so much to like about this. And then, of course, there is the Uconnect 5 system, the latest edition of Uconnect. I mean, you and I, I think, are, are big fans of Uconnect from before. I mean, What's your take on the fact that they have an improved Uconnect system? Uconnect has always been one of the, well, I won't say always, but since Uconnect, I would say three, has been the one of the leaders in features and responsiveness and ease of use while driving. I think we talk a lot about distracted driving, people on their phones, and, and tapping around on touchscreens is no different. Um, Uconnect 5, and I'll even say it, Ford Sync, is, are, those two are one, two of my favorites for just being able to hop in and use it without thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a, a great system. In some editions uh, of the vehicle, it has a 14.5-inch touchscreen, so a massive touchscreen that's uh, very easy to use, configurable. It also has a 10.25-inch passenger screen in, in many of the vehicles. So if your wife is riding along with you, she can watch a movie. <laughs> she can do do what she wants. And you can't see the movie. It kind of has that kind of special uh, screen configuration that makes it difficult for you to see from the side. Uh, so who knows what she could be watching. Uh, 
but it's it's pretty cool stuff. And a 12.3-inch uh, digital instrument cluster. So, I mean, this has got display after display after display, a head-up display in some of the vehicles, too. This is just so filled with tech. I talked a bit about the fact that it has level two uh, self-driving, some hands on the wheel. It also has hands off the wheel in special circumstances like uh, super highways that I mentioned. And it works very well. I mean, kind of spooky, but <laughs> until you begin to trust it, but it works very, very well. All in all, I just think this is such a, a great vehicle. In driving this thing, what I immediately felt was smoothness and quiet. Just a lot to like about this. Now, I was driving the high-end vehicles mostly, the limited, about $65,000, $70,000 base. And then the tungsten, I think base price is $87,000, but it is very fully equipped. And it has the high output, a high output version of this three liter hurricane engine, straight six, 540 horsepower, 521 pound feet of torque. And that torque is available in a very wide uh, torque band. So a lot of capability here. I mean, I know you haven't driven this yet, but what's, what's your kind of take on, on what you're hearing? It's the same thing. I, I think I said this on the show, actually, when Toyota moved from the V8 to the V6 and the hybrid systems with the Tundra and the Sequoia. The only thing you're losing is the sound you're, and maybe some ego to go with it, right? Because these V6s, these inline sixes, the hybrids, they're they're performing just as well, if not much better than their V8 counterparts. And the emissions are, are lower and, and all the things that come along with that. So uh, I think this is a great step for them. I can't wait to drive it. I think the, the 1500, the Ram 1500 has always had the best ride quality, uh, at least for the last five years since its, uh, since its latest generation. Uh, in the full-size full size truck segment. So I think they've they've made a smart move here. Yeah, the air suspension does a remarkable job with this vehicle. Uh, it just rides like a dream, rides like a limousine. I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating. This is one of the most comfortable vehicles of all types that I've ever driven, and uh, I liked it a lot. Maximum towing capacity over 11,000 pounds, up toward 12,000 pounds, uh, 2,300 pounds of uh, payload capacity. This is a real truck. It'll even, uh, in the right version, do water fording up to 24 inches. So it has some off-road capabilities too, although I would not take the tungsten uh, off-road that. I think I would leave that to the Rebel version. But I think the, we have some winners uh, this time around, right? The, the Honda Ridgeline in trail sport form, and then the uh, very heavily revised 2025 Ram 1500 in a lot of different flavors. I think it's a, it was a terrific truck before. It's even better now. I'm fascinated to see how this uh, inline six-cylinder goes over with the twin turbos going forward, and I'm waiting to see that. But uh, I'm looking forward to driving it. Yeah, terrific, terrific stuff. And when we come back, we will have a very interesting guest whose name is Andrew Staley. He's going to be talking about the 2025 Ford Explorer that is imminent. I caught up with him at the recent Chicago Auto Show and you know, buttonholed him about what's going on with the, the 2025. It's going to be fairly heavily revised. So stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. 
Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises, but at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com, and it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arnie Red at Amazon.com or EMLancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Arnie Red back with you. We're at the auto show in the Ford stand, having a great time. And with me is Andrew Staley, who is the uh, brand manager for Ford Explorer. Big job. A little explorer right right there on your vest. Yeah, very, absolutely. Very, very, very Staying cool. on brand. Yeah. Well, it's an exciting time for Explorer, right? I mean, um, the midsize SUV segment is a giant one, giant opportunity for Ford. Tell us a bit about why you're excited today. Yeah, absolutely. So, new 2025 Explorer built right here in Chicago. So, we couldn't think of a, a better event to unveil the, the new Explorer assembled here, America's all-time best-selling SUV. So, a lot of momentum coming into the Chicago Auto Show here. Um, but certainly a lot of t- to talk about about Explorer. Uh, we went out and we specifically solicited customer feedback, right? With over 8 million sold since 1990, that's a lot of opinions, a lot of feedback, and, and a, a market that we're able to tap into to, to solicit ideas from. So uh, we did that and got what, amazing yeah. feedback. What are some of the things you found out from that? Yeah. The, you know, what they liked about and maybe not so, a lot like so much about the current For sure. Explorer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a big piece was exterior. Loved the proportions. So when we went to the rear-wheel drive platform in 2020, the proportions, the sportiness that looks like. So we did minor refinements to the exterior to enhance that. But really, we got feedback on the interior and the technology. And that's where some of the most radical changes happened uh, for the 25 Explorer. So an all-new interior, everything from the dash to the console door panel seats basically a complete tear up uh, same thing with the screens so every single Explorer they're going to get the 13.2 inch digital screen and the 12.3 inch digital cluster standard across the board um, and, and new technology that goes with it so Explorer is the first Ford vehicle to get the Ford digital experience okay so that is the new infotainment system it's not sync 3 it's not sync 4 but a brand new infotainment system that has a, a suite of Google applications so it has the Google built-in okay. Uh, that would so be kind of a different background to it, right? Uh, not not the, essentially the same platform. Certainly, or, yeah. radically different. Yep, yep, yep. So the native navigation provider inside the vehicle is Google Maps. You have Google Play Store to even download additional apps inside of your vehicle like Spotify or YouTube or Amazon Prime Video. So really exciting things that we've never done in Explorer from video streaming to gaming. Uh, a, a lot of firsts that, that we're excited to share. Yeah, well, that's exciting. And it's so important to people these days. I mean, it could be a reason to buy or a reason not to buy, right? Those infotainment systems. Absolutely. Yeah, things like Apple CarPlay, right? It it seems like a commodity, but it's really a purchasing decision for especially a lot of our younger customers. Uh, I I am one of them. Apple CarPlay, I'm an avid user. So wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto, still an option if the the Google features are not your cup of tea. So really tailoring that experience to what the customer is looking for. Well, it's interesting to me. I think your friendly competitors over at General Motors are abandoning Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, or maybe not Android Auto, but kind of, you know, with their Google system. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of steadfast with Apple CarPlay. Certainly. Yep. Makes sense. 
Makes sense to me. Let's talk about seating. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, when this uh, edition, the current edition, 2024 Explorer was introduced uh, several years ago, it seemed like the uh, the dominant style was two, two, two kind of seating. Right. Two, two in each row, yep. right? Uh, have you changed that up or what's what's the plan now? Yeah, nope. S similar seating options. So we have seating for six or seven. So it could be a two, two, two or two, three, two. So that bench seat would be in the second row there. Uh, but up to seven passengers, really, really up to the customer as far as what their seating or cargo needs are. Mm -hmm. And then cargo space behind the th third row seat is pretty important, right? It is. Yep. Yep. So uh, from the previous generation or from the sixth generation, it has the same underpinnings still sitting on that CD6 platform. So cargo space, headroom, legroom largely carry over into 2025, but uh, uh, adequate for a lot of customers based on the feedback that we've been hearing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think the biggest changes are that when a consumer is looking at the 24 versus the 25? What are they going to go, oh, I, I see that's that's very different. Yeah, certainly on the interior, right? If I sat inside the, the new Explorer and I covered the steering wheel, that Ford oval up in the middle, I don't know that you'd be able to tell it's a Ford, let alone an Explorer. I mean, it is it's radically different from where we've been previously. So the screen is standard on all explorers, that digital cluster is standard, the, the infotainment system for digital experience, standard on all explorers. Uh, we even have technologies like Ford Blue Cruise hands-free driving. So hands-free driving on select highways, the, the vehicles uh, controlling the steering, the braking, the acceleration. So really exciting technology that we're pairing with a luxury interior. Um, it, it's great offering. Right. Uh, one of the advantages I think of the uh, the rear drive kind of oriented platform is towing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, how big a an aspect is that for the typical buyer? Do, do they tow uh, with Explorer? Certainly, yeah. Based on based on feedback, it's it's either towing or utilizing that trailer hitch in some way, like a bike rack carrier, right? Uh, the soon-to-be largest group of customers that we have, millennials, they're going out and they're doing more camping, more fishing, more biking, and more towing. Uh, so every Explorer is going to come equipped with that Class 3 trailer tow package. So you get the hitch and you get to tow 5,000 pounds. Regardless of drivetrain or powertrain or anything, you can tow up to 5,000. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. Uh, talk a, a bit of, uh, to us about powertrain. I think uh, yeah, this for 2024, you dropped the hybrid powertrain, right? Correct. Now, give us some kind of a rationale for that before we talk about the rest of the powertrain. Yeah. So, so Police Interceptor manufactured at the same Chicago assembly plant as the Retail Explorer. The take rate of the hybrid powertrain there has been astronomical, right? We think of the use cases, they're sitting idling for multiple hours a day. Some of those outfits are running 24-7 where fuel efficiency right. really means a lot. Um, so based on that demand from the police interceptor, we've prioritized those orders and, yeah. and the hybrid will be offered in 25 for those. But uh, for the retail Explorer, we are utilizing the 2.3 liter I-4 or the 3 liter V6. What was the take rate of uh, among retail customers? It was it was minuscule. It was less than 5% uh, leading up to 2024 model yeah. year. I mean, you get good fuel economy out of the other powertrains, exactly right? So right. that's important. Yep, yep, you get the cost savings. There, there was an upcharge for the hybrid when it was offered at retail, um, and, and the 2.3 liter, frankly, is, is quite efficient. So mm -hmm. we saw that was the majority of Explorer sales. How about off-roading? I mean, that's something that uh, Explorer has a pretty good reputation for. I, I've done a lot of off-roading and Explorers through the years. Tell us about, about the newest one. Certainly, yeah. Uh, so with the, the new lineup, you have a suite of standard features that make that possible. So like the train management system, seven selectable drive modes that are going to tailor your, your driving needs to whatever train you're on, whether that's deep snow, sand, or trails, or on pavement, what have you. Um, uh, available four-wheel drive is available on all series. 
But additionally, we're currently developing the most off-road capable Explorer ever. So not here yet, but we're excited to share that with you later this year. Oh, okay. Well, can you share the name of it? We'll have more to share later this year. Okay. okay. Well, I'm excited to do that, and I'm excited to drive that. What are some of the uh, takeaways that the typical consumer walking into a Ford dealership looking for the 25 should should know about know about the vehicle? Yeah. So with bold exterior styling, it has revised front and rear fascias, so it's giving that uh, uh, quite a sporty look up front. Uh, but really, the redesigned interior, all of the latest technology, whether that's the Ford Digital Experience or the Blue Cruise, uh, in addition to standard features, right? We've talked about all of the new and exciting things, but there are existing technologies that we've standardized across the board. The screens, uh, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, heated seats, trailer tow, adaptive cruise control with lane centering, blind spot information system. So that, that entry level Explorer, there's certainly an added sense of value with that once we add all of those standard features. Yeah, great, great stuff. And uh, I think maybe you told me when it's coming to market, but tell me again. Yep, uh, we're expecting that in dealerships uh, early summer of this year, order bank is now open. So. so head into your dealer, look for this. Is, do you have a favorite feature? Is there something about uh, the new Explorer that you went, Oh, this is so much better than it was before. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited, certainly excited for Ford Digital Experience and that new interior, but really as a an avid road tripper, Blue Cruise really gets me excited. I'm looking forward to hands-free driving. Yeah, that should be a blast. And Although I like, you know, having my hands on the wheel and making stuff happen. For sure, You're for cap- sure. Captain of the ship. And uh, that's fun in the Explorer, too. So, uh, and is there a, a performance version again, as a ST version? There is. This? Yep. So ST is here. It's still powered by the three-liter V6, 400, 400 horsepower, yeah. 415 foot-pounds of torque, capable of speeds up to 143 miles an hour. So it's a a true performance SUV. Yeah, one of my favorite SUVs actually. So Certainly. I'm, I'm glad there's a, a 2025 version of that. Well, Andrew Staley, thanks so much for talking with me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, putting up with the uh, Fords going up <laughs> and down here bes- beside us at the Chicago Auto Show, kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. And that was our interview with Ford Explorer brand manager, Andrew Staley. It was great to catch up with him at the Chicago Auto Show and uh, learn more about what's coming to the Explorer in 2025. Pretty interesting stuff. What's your, what are your thoughts about the Explorer versus the other midsize SUVs, Chris? Well, Jack, I like the Explorer. I've liked the Explorer for many, many years, except for when I see one in my rearview mirror with the blue and reds on top. But, you know, I think compared to its most recent counterparts, it's kind of struggling on the three-row front. I mean, you can get it with a, th- a third row, um, but it, it's kind of in that no-man's land between a two-row and then the full-blown, you know, we design this as a three-row SUV. So I think, you know, if, if you're a family person like myself and you're looking to buy something like this, you, you kind of have to balance the, do I want performance? And, you know, it has great tech, Ford Sync. We just talked about that as an infotainment system, but uh, for me, I think it's a little short on space inside. Yeah, that's one of the things I wondered, and I actually talked to him about it because I, like you, I kind of thought uh, they're changing this thing around. Maybe they'll increase the rear seat room. The third row is is a two-person rear rear bench and not very roomy, but that's going to stay. And when we come back, we'll answer some questions from our listeners. So stay with us, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack right back with you. And we're, we're so thankful you're with us on America on the Road. We really do appreciate it. We've been gaining listeners over the course of the last several weeks. It's very, very exciting for us. And we'd love it if you like America on the Road, if you'd pass it along to somebody else who uh, might like the show. Tell them on what radio station you listen to the show. Or pass along a podcast if you like to them. And uh, 
let them join the America on the Road family. We'd love that. We would appreciate that very much. We also uh, appreciate the opportunity to help people by answering their questions. And we have uh, some pretty interesting listener questions this time around. Uh, here's one from Leonard in Plano, Texas. Uh, I kind of went through this, and I think you will be going through this at some point, Chris, but uh, let me try this on you here. My daughter is going off to college next year, and we've been looking for a used car for her. It seems like prices are a lot higher than I expected. Are prices of used cars going to stay this high? And what do you think would be a good vehicle for her? So kind of two-parter there, Chris. Oh, wow. You're really piling it on me here. <laughs> you know, I think, so a couple of things. The, the first thing is that we're coming out of a, a period, and not a long period, like a two, two and a half year period of reduced new car inventory and difficulties with automakers producing, delivering, shipping, selling, et cetera, all the new cars. And that has a trickle-down effect on the used car market in that, uh, there are not as many lease turn-ins or, you know, things like that. There are not as many used vehicles. And as we know, you know, reduced supply, higher prices. So there there are things that you kind of have to balance there. That having been said, Jack, I, I just having, you know, with my anecdotal uh, obsessive car shopping habit, have noticed prices have, have started coming down uh, to a degree. I won't say that they are uh, feeling quite reasonable just yet, but I think we're we're moving in the right direction. And then on the second part of that, the the vehicle that I would recommend, I mean, man, it really depends on on the size and the type of vehicle you want. I think I would probably always point to Honda Civic, Toyota Corolla, uh, Honda CRV, Toyota Rav4, Hyundai Tucson, Hyundai uh, Elantra, those sorts of vehicles, uh, because you can find one that's certified. Or with, in the case with Hyundai, you get the hundred thousand mile warranty right out of the gate. But uh, those the Japanese brands, you know, the certified warranties carry to a hundred thousand miles. So I think those would probably be my my picks there. I mean, again, it depends on on what you need the vehicle to do, I guess. Yeah, all good advice. Uh, on the used car prices, they are moderating somewhat. I mean, they went through the roof, uh, partly because we were seeing so few new cars coming into the market. There was so little inventory out there uh, during COVID when there were uh, just the, the shutdowns of uh, a lot of factories and, and just problems with supply chain and all that. Uh, so they moderated a bit. They're still a lot higher than they were four years ago. If you last shopped for a used car four or five years ago, as you know, many people would, in, in Leonard's case, probably has not shopped for a used car maybe in a long time. Certainly they are more expensive. I think you identified some really good choices in terms of uh, go-off-to-college kind of vehicles. You know, I kind of like the idea of a compact sport utility uh, like a Honda CRV or a Toyota RAV4 um, gives your daughter a little higher driving position. Maybe she would feel a little more comfortable uh, with other traffic where there are a lot of uh, other tall vehicles as opposed to a, a Corolla or a Civic. I mean, those are wonderful cars. There, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them, but I think maybe a, a higher driving position and just the versatility of that. I mean, she'd be a very popular <laughs> girl at, at her college with the ability to to tote you know several people around and and their stuff and pick up stuff wherever and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say you, you it might ease the the pain of moving back and forth between semesters uh, depending on how how much stuff she has. So uh, I agree with that. Yeah, and at some point you will be going through this, Chris. I have gone through it with three of my daughters, two of whom had uh, small sport utility vehicles as their go to go to college cars. The other one had a Volkswagen Jetta. So. Think well, we're I'm almost eight years away from that, seven years away from that. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna 
wait patiently. Yeah, well, it comes quickly. You'd be surprised. Well, here's a question from Ricardo. He's in Encinitas, California. And I think it's a pretty interesting question, too. It kind of has to do with kids as well. When I was a kid, we had driver education in the high schools. But where I live now, it doesn't seem like that's available. Do you have thoughts on how I should teach my two children to drive? Should I try to teach them? Should I enroll them in a commercial driving school? What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Well, yeah, I learned, well, I didn't learn how to drive in high school, but we had driver's ed in high school. I already had my driver's license by the time uh, I went through the course. But, you know, I think there are a couple of things here. You know, your children, depending on your relationship with them, might not learn as well from you as they would a third party that doesn't know them and is less prone to yell at them or be yelled back at. You know, your kid might yell at you and, and, and things like that. So, you know, I think you need to, and I'm not, a relationship professional here, but I think you should t probably uh, take that into account where I am. I'm in Maine and you know, there are like a million people in the whole state and I can name prop well, not name, but I could probably find four different driving instructors uh, within a 10 minute drive of myself. And I'm sure that's even more in Southern California. I think if you can afford it uh, to have your daughter, your son, whomever uh, learn from a professional who is, who does this for their job, who is used to dealing with the stress and the the bangs and the bumps and it's not your car that they're driving. You know, these, these have, these people have student driver cars. So uh, I think there are things that you can do to sort of separate your emotions and, and everything and make, make it a lot less stressful. Yeah. I think you can tutor them a little bit, but I would recommend a professional commercial driving school. Uh, I think in some States or some localities, they need to have that certification before they can get their driver's license or before they can get their driver's license at the lowest age. I think maybe you can get a driver's license when you're over 18 in California without that. But prior to that, I think they require a, a commercial driving school uh, accreditation for each of the children. My, my kids did that. At the same time, I, I took them out and taught them how to drive stick shift vehicles a, a little bit. And had a little fun with that without uh, many histrionics or <laughs> yelling yelling at one another sessions. I think it worked out pretty well. So I think a, there's a nice combination there you can do. But, you know, it's an important thing to get your uh, child started right in terms of driving. And, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of bad behavior out there. I mean, I see electric bikes here that uh, where 12, 15-year-old kids are just doing really dangerous, <laughs> uh, horrible things on the street. I sound like the old gruff guy, you know, get off my lawn kind of guy. But, uh, you know, I see this and I'm going, you guys are going to hurt yourself really bad or you're going to hurt somebody else really bad. And, and uh, you know, that's not what we want to have happen. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, again, I'm going to say I'm not that old, but I think I'm one of the last maybe few generations that like have the generational bad habits that gets passed down or they get passed down. Um, both of them, I grew up with my grandparents. One was born in 1925. They was born in 1942. Um, and they were teaching me how to drive. And then I got to driver's ed and it was like, none of this makes any sense because the things that I learned were learned, you know, before, uh, power steering was a thing. So <laughs> I think that there, there are things that, that professionals have that they learn because of their job that you don't get as just a normal driver every day. Uh, that'd be valuable to your kids. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think everybody believes that they're a great driver. I think 80% of the people think they're a better driver than the average, which kind of doesn't make sense if you look at the stats, but uh, there you go. Well, let's take another question. This is from uh, uh, John in Nashville, Tennessee. This is what he writes. He says, I have a Nissan Leaf, and it seems like when I try to use a public charging station, things are worse than ever. 
Sometimes they don't work and sometimes there's a line of cars waiting to use them. Am I imagining things or is this really happening? Well, I do love Nashville. It's in my home state of Tennessee. Uh, things are worse. I think as more people buy EVs, it's not that the charging network itself is is getting worse. It's that there are more people using the charging network and, and it's kind of not living up to the task. Um, I think in the next what are you, seven, eight years, Jack, we're going to see hundreds of thousands, maybe a million new chargers installed in the United States, assuming uh, that budgets and investments continue the way that they've been promised. But uh, I think this is the thing that we we gripe about a lot on the show, right, is that charging infrastructure, availability, reliability, uh, speeds, all those things, they're playing into, uh, they give me pause when somebody asks me, you know, should I buy an electric vehicle? Well, one thing we're, we're clear on here is we're glad that you're listening to America on the Road. We do appreciate it. And I'm always appreciative of the t- time I have to spend with Chris talking about cars. So, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. And um, certainly there's a lot of ways people can check out our show and pass it along, aren't there? Absolutely. If you go to the SportsMap Radio website, it's more sportsmapradio.com. There you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule. You can find our Apple podcast, our Spotify podcast, all the major platforms. Uh, and if it's your thing, you can download the radio formatted podcast. However, I will say that downloading and listening to our major platforms, Apple, the other ones, uh, helps us out a lot. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing. So help us out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, our thanks to the uh, radio stations that carry America on the Road on the Sports Map Radio Network. And most of all, thanks to you for listening to America on the Road. I think if you want to check out my most recent book, Dance of the Dark, it's available on Amazon. So look for that and look for us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR Factor. I'm Jack Arnie Red, host of America on the Road. For years I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, The GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, the GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack Arnie Red. Thanks for checking it out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.